the past. It used to be a newspaper. The Bob Podcast. Not outclassed. Ones on mass. Get it on my leader right up to the end of the game. The Bob Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Buff Podcast. My name is Mark Isles and I'm the chief football writer of the Bolton News. From now on, we will be the podcast that brings you all things Wigan Athletic. News, views, straight from the DW... What? Oh, we're not, we're not doing the Wigan thing anymore. Oh, right, okay. This is the podcast that brings you all the week's Bolton Wanderers news. We get it. We have listened. Not on the show this week. We go behind the scenes with Adam Bogdan's new band, the Anti-Growth Coalition. Mario Espatero tells us why fidget spinners might be on their way back. And Emmanuel Marini joins us for a chat about his new book, Being Emmanuel Marini. But before all that, this podcast turns three this week. Yes, three whole years since my ego decided it could be contained by a newspaper and a website any longer. What a ride it has been, by the way. And a thank you to everybody that's tuned in, that's emailed us, liked us, reviewed us, uh, re- recommended us to their friends, everything. Rest assured, we'll be going for a long time yet. That is, unless Henry decides he wants to pay in. Welcome to The Buff, where we know Zenden kicked it twice. Hello and welcome to episode one of The Buff Podcast. My name is Mark Isles. I'm the chief football writer of the Bolton Evening News. Yeah, I still call it that. This is a, a quiz specifically geared towards whether Tom knows or doesn't know his onions. We, we, we toyed with a few guest co-hosts um, after, I've forgotten what his name is now, you know the ginger one that used to present this with me. It wasn't just me. You've got to look at the players around me. When I deliver a, a ball into the box, you've got a giant willing to attack it. Well, when I was a kid, I kicked the Bible in. <laughs> I kicked a Bible? Yeah, but I, I, was, I, was only, I was about 10 or something. I, was, I think my mum was shouting at me, so I walked upstairs, I booted it. Got home, took my sock off and me, my toe was purple. <laughs> I don't know why I had a Bible in the house. Like, I'm not really religious in that. Hang on, was that your doorbell? Loads of players left and almost everybody at the stadium ended up on the government furlough scheme, which is a phrase that I'd never used until 2020, like lockdown haircut or Sophie Ellis-Bexter's done a cracking job on that kitchen splashback. Well, after all that lockdown nonsense, I'm delighted to have a new name next to me on the buff, Mr. Henry Hewitt, or Double H, as I'm going to be calling him from now on in. Henry, how are you doing, pal? I'm good, thanks. I mean, that was a... I, I couldn't have put the last 196 days better myself. There we have Henry Hewitt, the Buff's own Nostradamus. Uh, as you said, we're the Buff, we're plodding along. We, we're going through the summer. Yeah, we might not get the names right, we might not get the stats right, but Bayek will plod on. Is it all right? Yes, it's The Buff I absolutely promise you this is a Bolton Wanderers news podcast. 
as well as the listeners, we'd like to thank Simon Woods, who provides some fantastic music for this podcast. Um, and I think everybody would agree it wouldn't be the same without it. So we really do appreciate everything that Simon does for us as well. That we can offer this podcast for free is partly because lots of you support local journalism. You buy the Bolton News, you read the website, you subscribe and read the premium articles, and it's really appreciated. This newspaper's been there at Wanderers since day one. And we've been there in the good times, and we've been there in the bad times, all except for those couple of weeks where I got banned for that Muppet thing. But if you fancy being with us through the next God knows how many years and getting access to absolutely everything, all of our Wanderers content, and importantly, helping to fund local journalism, then go to www.theboltonnews.co.uk backslash subscribe. Have your first two months for £2. See what it's all about. And now it's time to introduce the podcast co-host, a man that's so dedicated to Bolton Wanderers that he maintained an Ivan Campo hairstyle for the last 20 years, just in case he comes out of retirement. It's Henry Hewitt. Henry, how's the hairdo? It's fine. It's, uh, it's got a bit wet recently this this week, so it's, uh, it's all mopey and, and flat. <laughs> but uh, hopefully I can have a bit of a dry spell and it can be all buffy again. Yeah, mopium flat. That's 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 a very decent uh, analogy for the week uh, that's that's <laughs> happened since Cheltenham, mate. To be honest, and, and and wet as well. I've never had a wetter journey. I think from the one I had from Gloucestershire back up north yesterday, it was like they knew the clouds knew the feeling inside the car with me and Jack Dearden driving up. Uh, it's been a week of stark contrast. Let's put it that way. It has, yeah. I mean, it started well. Saturday was brilliant. You know, I was coming, getting ready to come on the podcast and go, oh, we're, we're fantastic. You know, everyone's going to the ground expecting we're going to win every game now. It's brilliant. And then I watched on Tuesday night, which I've got to say, as I've mentioned on the podcast, I did have a ticket and got a refund. Now, I was worried that it was going to be a 5-0 win and I was going to think I should have gone to that. But after 20 minutes, I was like, no, right choice. I'll sit here on my couch. Best refund ever. Yeah. Mm. It, uh, you're right. I think Saturday, we'll start with Lincoln. We'll do this chronologically. We'll start with the Lincoln on Saturday. 2-0 win. I'm going to be honest, it was a comfortable win, but I didn't think Bolton played especially well. Is that fair? I don't think we needed to. Yeah, you know, and yeah. uh, I, a bit of an odd... I know it's an odd comment because we won 2-0, but... Um, yeah, I feel it was a weird atmosphere on Saturday. I don't know if anyone else noticed it. It was as if it was a bit flat. I know mm. it's, it is difficult when your away fans are up at the top tier to, to generate atmosphere. But I just felt we all turned up expecting to win. And as a result, that meant that, yeah, it was... It was winning winning didn't mean we, much. <laughs> yeah, I, this is what it must be like to be a Man City or a Liverpool fan. But um, yeah, I think because uh, we had the majority of the possession as well, and Lincoln didn't create that much. You know, I think the second half, he had the ahead of it went over and then there was a chance in the first half, which meant Thomas and cleared for a corner. But other than that, it was all Bolton. So I guess we were just watching, thinking, well, we're going to score at some point. So, yeah, it was a bit flat, but it was a, a win, a good win. We It was quite convincing, really, in the end. Could have been more, but we'll take a 2-0 and uh, it was all rosy. It, I, I mean, it was so comfortable, so one-sided. Lincoln was so sat so deep. In the end, they actually, you know, it was, it was one 0 They actually had to gift us the second goal, with, 
I, I still don't even know what Sean Ruffin was thinking with that with that throw, and it was ridiculous. Yeah, I was sat behind the uh, the goal at the other end, and you can't. I had to watch it back later, thinking, "Oh, I, have I not seen a Lincoln player who he was <laughs> aiming at?" As he as Bodvarsson nicked in front of someone, but no, literally, he just threw it to Bodvarsson, which was nice of him. Yeah, if we could nice. play defenders. Those type of defenders every week. If we could have had one on Tuesday, that would have helped. Yeah, yeah. I think he saw like a ghost Lincoln defender and it just, like, where's he gone? It's, it's disappeared. Uh, I will say, actually, uh, Mark Mark Kennedy, the Lincoln boss, class act afterwards. I thought he was really good with his uh, appraisal of the game. He, he didn't mince his words. He, he obviously said Bolton were by far the better team. He set up to try and contain him. Um, but he also, only a young lad, the defender that made the mistake. And I thought his kind of handling of that situation was really, really good, just to make that note. But anyway, as you, know, as you noted earlier, Henry, things did get worse as the week went on. Um, Tuesday night, Cheltenham, back in God's country. My hometown, I was thinking, yes, lovely. It had been a perfect day up until the game kicked off. And Wanderers, well, I mean, they, they were still aboard the team bus. They didn't turn up. No, it was, yeah, first half, I've, I I missed the first couple of minutes, so I didn't see the penalty shout, so I, I don't know anything about that. And obviously, if that is given, then it is a different game. But I just felt for the whole game, Bolton were, the passing was going astray. Uh, there were a few times where Amerson tried, he just got caught on the ball. Uh, yeah, creatively, we only really made one or two chances in the first half. Second half, I don't think we made any. Um yeah, it was just really flat and I, it worried me a little bit thinking, well, are we? if a team doesn't allow us to play how we play, like they do when we're at home, are we going to struggle? Are we, you know, they, they, they're trying to work on how to be creative when teams are sat back, our teams are playing a certain way and it just seemed on, on Tuesday that we didn't, you know, we just didn't do anything. If, uh, you know, even when Lion came on, he tried... He tried. He was running with the ball, trying to create stuff. But it takes the other players to help him out with that. And uh, yeah, it was it was very disappointing, Mark. It was. It was. I think to go back to the penalty, my first reaction was penalty. I think it was a trip. It's one of those, and I can't understand why it's the case. But two minutes into a game, in fact, it was less than that. It was about forty-five seconds into the game. If that's ten minutes into the game, the referee's kind of got his eye in. And he gives the penalty, but because it's so early, it kind of caught him by surprise. And, um, yeah, it shouldn't be the case. But, I mean, Bolton on the day, they, they never got started. I mean, Cheltenham were quite happy for them to sit there with the ball in their own half. They had loads of possession. Majority of that possession was for Johnson, for Ameson, a bit for Santos with the centre-halves. Basically, they needed to be more creative. They needed to get forward. They needed to push forward, be a bit braver on the ball and, and, and make that extra man in midfield. Or, conversely, the, the space was probably either side of the, the, the three centre-halves that... Um, uh, the, the, uh, the centre-halves that, that Cheltenham had, rather, because their, put, their full-backs were pushing on. That Jackson on the, um, on the Cheltenham right-hand side... Gave gave Jack Iredale a, a hell of a time, and, and it kind of makes a bit of a mockery of the fact that there was no space on the pitch because he seemed to have the complete run of it. He gave a really hard game. Um, just a, yeah, the passing on the night was was really really poor, and I, I've seldom seen Ian Everett as disappointed with a performance after a game. Um, he was he didn't mince his words. You know, normally there'll be a, a turning point, even with the penalty, I think he, he kind of said, I thought it was a penalty, but whether it had done us any good on the day, I'm not sure. 
Um, it was uh, it was very very flat, and now it's all doom and gloom. Yeah, I, to me, I don't know. We looked. It's as if they were tired. I, I, and yeah. the goal at the end was was such a you know ball over the top, and he's ran on. So you know, I, I don't know whether Johnson uh, Johnston was tired. It, I don't know. Yeah, it was reading social media afterwards. It was as if we've just gone on a ten game losing run. Um, people were were very upset. Um, I think you've got to take it into context. We are still sick. Yeah. And we win uh, our next two games, which we're more incapable of doing. Then um, we'll we'll probably move up to, well, we will definitely move up to at least fifth. Yeah, it was, it was just disappointing. But for me, whenever we go on these runs of winning games, I'm always the longer it goes on, the more nervous I get that we're going to lose eventually, and it's coming. So uh, yeah, I'm very relaxed now ahead of Saturday. I I had this conversation on Wednesday after we'd done the, the press conference with a few of the boys and I just wondered whether as a as a fan you kind of feel it. I mean, do you think that Bolton Wanderers fans are um a, a different to, to, to normal fans or, or more dramatic even? Because it does feel that the highs are so high and the lows are so low. There's no in between at the moment. And and after the best start for 22 years, I think it is, since since Big Sam took them up from uh, second tier to Premier League. One defeat really shouldn't have the, the, the reaction that it probably did garner in the end. I think it was quite, looking at social media, and, and you can you can say maybe social media isn't a, a great barometer for the, the sane individual, but it was really, really vicious, I thought, the reaction. Um, is it particular to Bolton, that? Uh, I don't know whether it's particular to Bolton because for some reason it was. I think people were just. I think the more you win, the more expectation there is. And you know, going to Cheltenham with respect to them, we expected to to win the game, even though it is a tough place to go. So I think it was more. Uh, I think, I think Bolton fans are a bit. We do get over emotional and over the top at, at one defeat, but I think it's the manner of the defeat. I think if um, you know, if it if it because it wasn't a four nil like the Leighton Orient a few years ago, that was mm. justified. Whereas with this, I, I don't know. I don't think it was justified. I think it was just frustration that we didn't create anything. I think if we had the last ten or fifteen minutes where we were creating stuff, and it just wouldn't go in the goal. I think fans would have gone, well, oh well, it's one of those things. But I think uh, yeah, most were upset and. You know, it was a poor performance, and I think maybe the shock of it because we've we've had such. I don't think we've had amazing performances recently. I just think we've we've done enough to show that we're better than the other teams. But um, I, I think the thing that annoyed me was that yeah, we weren't playing well, and I even thought to myself, thought we don't deserve a point in this game, let alone a, a win. Yeah. Yeah. But then to not see it out was disappointing, and and the manner of the goal. If it was a, a, a you know a corner that scrambled in, then you can go all oh, right, one of those things. But the manner of the goal, it just seemed that we we switched off for a minute. Yeah, I have to say on the on the night, I kind of had my head buried buried in a laptop, thinking, oh crikey, how have they how have they managed to get this uh, get this point? It was going to be a, a blind robbery type of exercise, but then all of a sudden looked up and the ball had been played in behind, and, and Ryan Broom was tucking it under James Trafford, and uh, yeah. Bit of a rewrite, bit of a late rewrite that one, but I think the report was uh, was suitably, well, 
suitably negative, I suppose. There was they didn't give us much chance to write anything better than that, but there we go. Um, right, okay, we'll talk about some of the other uh, major bits, I should imagine, in uh, in a few moments, because this is the part of the show we like to call headlines. <laughs> Yes, every week, uh, Henry mines some great headlines from the, from the rich seam of the Bolton News. So uh, take it away, Henry. Yeah, well, uh, this was before the Cheltenham game. I noticed that uh, you said that the away farm will define our season. Mm. So not a good start to that. No, no. Um, Ian Everts came up with something rather prophetic there, I think, in the build-up to the Cheltenham game. Um, I wish he hadn't said it now. Uh, yeah, I, I think he's. I think it's completely true, though, because last season we know where the weaknesses were. We know the Burtons, the Accringtons, the Fleetwoods, those sorts of games, had they shown up and had they given them, done themselves justice in those games, that league table, they would have... They certainly would have run the top six a lot closer, but you, you wonder whether or not they might have just maintained a bit more form as well in the in the lower times. So I think that's where they could make the biggest improvements this season. And up until Tuesday night, I would have said they were making those improvements. They'd done quite well against physical teams like Peterborough and uh, Wickham. And I'm not painting Cheltenham out here to be some sort of long ball direct. They had a little way about them no doubt those long throws were difficult to defend and um Alundalu, uh was was brilliant up front I thought he he, he uh, it was a great tussle between him and Santos uh, but it's that type of that type of environment you know it's not luxurious it's it's compact the dressing rooms are very minimal let's say uh bijou um the, the crowds right on top here, it's Tuesday night. It was one of the loudest Cheltenham crowds I've ever heard. They're not known for being a particularly raucous bunch at all. Um, and and it's just being able to handle that. And I think, unfortunately, it was a real big step backwards. And you look at some of the games that are coming up, and obviously we start this weekend, Forest Green. It's not going to be too dissimilar. You've got teams like Burton's coming up and Cambridge coming up and Accrington coming up. If Bolton could get on a run and get these games won, they'd be in a fantastic position by Christmas. But if they're going to continue to struggle in that sort of environment, it's going to, no matter what they do, it's going to be a really kind of a, a, a big chase again after January. And they don't want to be in that position. No, well, you said it after the game. You said that's that's well, tonight, Tuesday, was a blueprint for those teams. And going, right, well, this yeah. is how we beat Bolton Wanderers. So, uh, yeah, we need to address that. Um, you know, because it's yeah, home farm is great, and it is great being at home. And you know, I, I listen to because uh, I'm a saddo. I listen to Radio Lincolnshire before, <laughs> uh, you know, after the game, but what they did before the game and after the game, and and uh, they were say they spoke to Mark Kennedy, and he was saying like, oh, this is brilliant. This is what the players should strive to be playing at every week. Um, what a fantastic venue! So clubs are coming and. You know, Lincoln are a, a League One club, but they're still coming and being in awe of the surroundings. So that can play to our advantage, uh, especially when it's a much bigger pitch than what these teams are used to. However, the when you turn that around, it shows that we aren't, you know, we, we struggle when we aren't playing on that big, expansive pitch where teams are letting us play. So uh, if, we, if you're going to get promoted or in the playoffs, you, you can't, 
you can't just say, right, well, we'll win every other game other than the, the six or seven we're going to play on small pitches. You've got to take points in those games. Yeah, and also it's a tweaking style. I think if you if you were going to try and play expansive football, obviously on a small pitch, it's, it's now impossible. If you're going to try and pick your way through with, you know, kind of one-touch pass move, uh, you know, the, the, the kind of the way that they do using wing-backs and such like, the, the good football that Bolton do tend to try and play at home, even that is very difficult to transpose onto that pitch. It's not impossible. They, you know, there were there were a couple of flashes they managed, but it's really hard to impose that game. You've got to kind of boil down your approach and use what the opposition give you. You know, try and and ever talks a lot about weaknesses and exploiting weaknesses, um, and really. I, it's it's that kind of that switch where they've got to go a bit more direct, where they've got to have the, you know, plan B, if you will. And I don't like using that. They've got lots of different ways to play, lots of different shapes and formations. But actually, the the, the core style of it is: can you play a little bit more direct? Now they had the tools on the pitch there. They brought in Dempsey, they brought in Bodvarsson up front. That Charles is is more than happy playing that sort of football and, and chasing down the channels and, and tracking defenders. It's the, the, none of that was a problem, even without Bradley. I don't think not having Bradley there was the reason they lost that game. I'm sorry, and I, we, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But the the it was too narrow a pitch for Bradley to have too much of an impact for me. That the it fell down because they just weren't hitting the right the right sort of passes and as I said before that kind of boiled down a little bit to Johnston to Santos to uh, even to Thomason to to Ameson the deeper lying players who were being given the ball and saying well just okay then you find your find the spot you you knock it over the top of us and you you do it and and Cheltenham to their credit worked really hard on the night they gave Bolton no space I kept on expecting them to tire and to drop off but it never happened and you know, I, I I begrudgingly take my cup off to them and say, well done. I think they, they fully deserve the win. But I think you've got to turn to Bolton, look yourself in the mirror and think, can we play a different way and get three points? Yeah, exactly. And uh, this was the problem last year. Ironically, Cheltenham was, I think, the only sort of tight ground that we actually won at. Yeah. So uh, hopefully it's the opposite this year and it's the only one we lose at. But, um, but you're right, you know, going into these games... Like uh, I know the Accrington tickets have sold out within 24 hours, so we we play them in two weeks. They're going to be the same. They're a tough. Mm-hmm. They're playing well. Tough game. You're not going to allow us to just turn up and play our our football as we've seen in the last uh, two or three times that we've played them uh, at their stadium. Um, so yeah, it's you know hopefully it's just an off day. That's that's what we can put it down to. Each team has them in a season. Like like we said, in context, we are still sixth after eleven games. We would have took that, um, but I, I think Ian Everett will be really happy that actually we've got another tight ground to play at on Saturday. Yeah, yeah. You know, if if it would have been if we would have played like this and then gone well, there's we don't play another team like this until January, then it kind of gets forgotten about. But now we can go on the training ground and go right. How do we address this? How do we play when we don't have the space to do what we do best? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. And, and also, Mike Duff was there, uh, obviously an ex-Cheltenham boss, but he's now in charge of uh, Barnsley. And Barnsley are on the horizon. They come to Bolton in a couple of weeks. I think every team that looks at that game and looks even even looks at Saturday, where Lincoln were frustrating Bolton for a long time, 
that low block, as they call it nowadays, basically camping out in your own half and looking to hit on the break, that is the blueprint that Bolton have got to show they can they can deconstruct and beat teams. And so far, they haven't really done it, it's got to be said. So uh, I, I hope they find a way, I really do. So we mentioned Connor Bradley yeah. uh, a little bit there. So a lot of people were we're sort of linking Bradley not playing to the fact that we we got beat. Um, I agree with you. I don't necessarily think that's the case. As Jones, he's very good in that position, in my opinion. Um, but so, what was the reason? Did was it just not the type of game that Ian Everett wanted to to sort of risk him in? Is it that he is getting a bit tired? Well, why did he rest him? Yeah, I think I think by the sounds of things it was about 50-50 i think he he was certainly looking at having him on uh, fresh on saturday i think a, a full on trip down to gloucestershire and then back again and then back again uh, might have been just a little bit too far for him um yeah i, I think i think it was a bit of everything really but I, I, he's played a lot and he's played a lot for northern ireland as well um which i think that has got to be uh, got to be taken into consideration. He's played two big games there for, for Northern Ireland in the last month and he's only a young lad. So I think um, you've got to you've got to t- factor into the fact that this is his first full season of football. He's, he's a teenager. You don't want to break him down by September. That's right. What, what, what month are we in now, Henry? Yeah, what, you don't <laughs> want to break him down by November, let's say. Um, we, yeah. want him, we want him for the full season. So I think there will be times where even he has to be rested. Um, and I think, in fairness, and I don't want to pick on Jack Iredell. I, I feel like I seem to be doing this week. But I think he looked tired on the left-hand side. I think he, he, he struggled um, on, uh, on, on Tuesday night as well. So I think... We've got a couple of left-sided wing-backs that might well step in Saturday as well um, in, the, in the same sort of way. We're getting to that stage where it's the first kind of the hump. You've got the first 11 games. It's a quarter of the season in. Um, so, you know, footballers um, are only human. They do, uh, they, they do need to be kind of rotated and rested when necessary. Yeah, you're right. And I, I think Declan John coming in for Idale is he's a good player. You know, I think, uh, I think it's been... A shame for him that he's been found himself on the bench so much. So that's yeah, that's again not a problem. Um, maybe I think Idale's better in the air than Declan John, but um, so that might become an issue. But other than that, I think it'll be a fine replacement. And yeah, I think you're right as well against because we've all got to remember Bradley's a, a top player. He plays for Liverpool, but you know he's only young and it is his first full season of playing this football every single week. Mm. Um, you know, and I think. He's he's been so far our one of our player of the season. He's um, he needs to improve on his one on ones. I've got to say, but other than that, it's uh, mm-hmm. he's been yeah he's been very good. And uh, yeah, you don't want to burn him out. You want him to be there for the full season. And okay, we've lost at Cheltenham, but I, I don't I don't see how Bradley changes that game. Jones got down to the byline in the first half. We had a few crosses coming from that sort of area, but um, for me. Yeah, I, I don't see how he impacts that game as much as what people thought. I think it's an easy way of going, oh, we lost, so it must be this reason. Yeah, I think people look for a very quick answer, don't they? And just, you know, you've lost a game, ah, it was because it was X, Y, Z. Um, I think you could you could probably say there was a, a lack of creativity in the middle of the park between the three. 
I think that was probably by design as well, in as much as it was going to be, they, they knew they'd have to work hard, and that's why Dempsey was in there, a little bit more physicality. Um, so you could say probably Kieran Lee was was could have played there. There was no reason why he couldn't have played there, other than he was being specifically uh, rested for another game in mind. Um, I think they arguably missed him more than they did do Bradley on the night, because Jones knows how to play that. He's He's got that extra little bit of, uh, experience, know-how, a bit more in the air as well than, than Bradley. So I think on the night, that was the right pick for me. Um, but hey, I'm sure he'll be back on Saturday and fingers crossed it's a bit bigger of a pitch. It's, and, and I think Forest Green are a little bit more uh, or a bit less direct, a little bit less up and at him than uh, Cheltenham and also in a very poor run of form. So um, fingers crossed it'll be his day. Yes. Um, so the B team played this week. They lost four 0 against Blackpool. So we'll uh, we'll we'll scrub over that. that <laughs> the result result doesn't matter. But what does matter was there was a trialist. Uh, the trialist family had another member because we, we had a a lot from the trialist family a few years ago. But they've not really uh, given us any players recently. But there was one on Tuesday. Yes, uh, the the wonderful trialist family has struck again. His name was Musa Diallo. Um, our intrepid B-team reporter, Dan Barnes, was there uh, to, uh, to to witness his... I think he played 60-odd minutes for the B-team. Um, described as an exciting winger, uh, we're told. Oh. So there we go. Um, I think... Look, I think B team. We're going to see quite a bit of this. We're going to. See, I think we've already seen a couple of, um, of of trialists. Sometimes you get to name them. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you find out who they are. Sometimes you don't. Um, this guy, uh, he's been a fastly Celtic uh, over in Yorkshire. He's had trials at Brentford. Um, he's had trials at Barnsley, um, and he's playing for a club called Mousehole. Um, so. <laughs> I don't even know. I've never in my adult life um, had cause to use the word mouse hole, as far as I'm aware. I don't know where mouse hole is, um, what league they play in. They played against Falmouth Town because he scored twice the other week. Um, he's French, I can tell you that. Uh, and I suspect, because he only lasts 60-odd minutes, that we might not see too much of him again. But, hey, who knows? Um, I think... They've got to keep on looking. They've got to keep on trying to refine that squad at B-team level. That's what it's there for. And and I think anybody that's watched reserve team football regularly down the years will be well accustomed, as you say, to the to the uh, trialist family popping up. And um, it's always a, a fun game. Whenever trialist puts up on the team sheet, I'll get 20 tweets to me saying, uh, who, any idea who this trialist is? And and I'm sat in Starbucks at Middlebrook waiting for a press conference to work. And, think, uh, you know, I'm thinking... I'm not even there. I, I, I have no idea. Tweet Dan. <laughs> I've got no yeah. idea. I've got no idea who this kid is. But um, yes, we found out this time, uh, Musa Diallo. Um, we wish him well. If he doesn't stick with Bolton, we wish him well at Mouse Hole. I'd love to. I'd love to see Mouse Hole do well. Yeah, we we all would. You know, I noticed uh, Berry got to the fourth round of the FA Cup quali- well, fourth qualifying stage. Uh, I would love Mouse Hole to do the same one year. I'm, I've just a little Google. It's in Penzance, Mouse Hole. Um, yeah, oh. that's a long way away, isn't it? Bloody hell. Mouse Hole AFC. Um, right, okay. Well, he's, he's made a long journey. Hopefully, uh, it isn't the last we've ever seen of him, and it is uh, a fruitful journey. But, um, yeah, maybe in a 4 0 defeat, it possibly wasn't. But B team results don't really matter, do they? So it's all about the performance. Ah, yes, yes. Well, up, up the Seagulls. 
mousehole seagulls. Um, I hope they do well down there. Um, although apparently, uh, I've just, uh, <laughs> I don't believe I'm going down a mousehole rabbit hole um, <laughs> or wormhole um, on Wikipedia. I've just noticed that uh, the club have actually got um, a bit of a, a backstory with Bolton Wanderers. Um, they host a pre-season tournament called the Endorsed Cup, which features youth teams from Newcastle, Huddersfield and Bolton Wanderers. So there we go. So there is an right, existing well, relationship there. Yeah. Um, okay, let's move on. Let's, let's, let's move on. You didn't, you didn't tune into this podcast to listen to Mousehole. You'll have to listen to my sister podcast, the, uh, the Mousehole Buff. Um, Ian Ever and uh, Neil Hare have had a chat. Now, if you don't know who Neil Hare is, he's the referee, ironically, with a great head of hair, I noticed on Saturday. Um, <laughs> and he's the guy who uh, who didn't give a penalty in Kachunga, and then his linesman said, hang on a minute, that was a penalty, and he gave it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we possibly should have had a penalty in the second half as well, which he didn't give, and his other linesman didn't give either. Yes, uh, Neil Hare. I have to say, when I saw his name, I, I think I did tweet... Uh, shiver because I was a little bit worried I, I know he did referee a game against Cheltenham at the end of last season the one that we referred to earlier that um, they won 2-1 uh, but most fans will recall the game against Tramay where he sent off Ryan Delaney gave that really dodgy penalty sent off Ian Everett as well uh, it was it was a very poor refereeing performance one of the worst that that many fans, some of the most experienced Bolton Wanderers fans have uh, have ever seen. And so, obviously, um, it, it kind of fits straight back into that Barry, Barry Knight mould of uh, reviled referees. But I brought that issue up with, uh, with Ian Everett after the game on Saturday. And he said, actually, you know, we, we kissed and made up off, uh, after that Cheltenham game. He came over, he admitted his mistakes. I've got a newfound respect for him. So, you know, he's off my list now, Neil Hare. I won't, next time Neil Hare referees a game um, involving Bolton, I will not be making any sort of issue out of it. Probably shouldn't have done anyway. Um, but, uh, I mean, look, he, he could easily have dropped a clanger had he not given that penalty. For about five seconds before, you know, he waved away the, the appeal... I looked down at the dugout and Ian Everett was just about to explode. His head, his hands were on his head. And he, he relayed to us afterwards that apparently the linesman's saying, hang on Ian, wait a second, I can hear the comms, don't say anything, don't go anywhere, don't move. <laughs> and so I think he was ready to pop at that stage, but thankfully uh, the incident was uh, was averted. Much like the Cold War uh, 60 years ago, um, on, a, on a very famous day that uh, the nuclear war almost happened, um, it Neil uh, Hare managed to avoid another Ian Everts explosion um, on the uh, dog. Not that I'm comparing the two, but you know. <laughs> yeah, we're going to, each headline, we're going to see where you can take it. So we've gone to Mouse Hole and now we've gone to Nuclear War. Uh, next one is uh, we've had a mention on US TV by Thierry Henry. So I'll leave this one to you. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't even my story. I just thought it was really funny. Um, I think it's something that Dan. Uh, picked up um Thierry Henry on some rambling diatribe much like the two the previous ones that I've just been on um has managed to crowbar Bolton Wanderers and Sam Allardyce into some analogy about strikers suiting certain clubs he's saying that had he played at Bolton Wanderers and, and I wouldn't do that are you mad says uh, Thierry Henry um or played long ball football under Sam Allardyce that he wouldn't have prospered 
I don't think. I think if Thierry Henry would have played, uh, he might want to, um, and he may have the number. He may not. Uh, may want to give Nicholas Anelka a ring, and find out how well he did at Bolton Wanderers, and and and, and compare and contrast uh, notes there. Methinks. Yeah, well, I think I saw the clip. They did. Uh, I think it was Mika Richards or, or Jamie Carragher. One of them said, um, uh, pointed out, said that. Nicholas Anelka did well, and he and then Thierry had to kind of backtrack and go, "Yeah, well, I mean, Nicholas is a very good player, but uh, you know, I couldn't have done it." Um, Rubbish! Thierry Henry would have done perfectly well for Bolton. Absolutely. I mean, I'm not saying he ever would have played for Bolton, but you never know. You never know. Um, I bet you Sam Allardyce will claim that he tried to sign him at some stage, but Phil Gartside said no. But you know, <laughs> that's the yeah, way, that's I know. the way it is. <laughs> I don't normally get. I don't normally buy the the shirt actually. But especially, I don't get a player's name on my back. But to have Henry on my back, uh, I probably would have made an exception for Thierry Henry. Oh yes, yeah, good shout that. Didn't we have another Henry not so long back um, on loan? Um, we had Carl Henry as well. Then of we course, had, yeah. Uh, James Henry, yeah. We've had a few. When James Henry scored against Scunthorpe, I've got it screenshot on my phone. The headline like. Henry saves Bolton or something. I thought, yes. <laughs> right, give me give me another headline that's much better, please. <laughs> uh, well, to end on, it was, of course, the 25th anniversary uh, dinner at the weekend of, uh, well, the, the staging being open. Mm. I saw the video that the club put on the YouTube channel, which was played on the night, which was uh, basically recounting the, um, the uh, 100... Goals, 98 points, season last one at Burnden with John McGinley narrating it, which was funny, especially when he was um, talking about himself. <laughs> very third, per, very the rock uh, of John McGinley. But um, no, it was uh, apparently, I, I saw some people on Twitter talking about it. It was a good night all round. Yeah, I think everybody that went to the night has, has said it was, a, it was a cracking night. Virtually the whole of that team turned up uh, Brannigan, Bergson, Taggart, Fairclough, Coleman, Green, Phillips, Johansson, Lee, Thompson, Sheridan, Blake and uh, the aforementioned John McGinley. Um, yeah, I mean, as, as far as teams go, I, I think you'd be struggling probably to find a, a team that's that's more revered, would you say? I think that season is probably as good as it's ever been for Bolton Wanderers. Yeah, my, that was my first full season watching us, and it's it definitely went downhill. Uh, <laughs> for the, for the, well, taking out a few seasons in the mid nineties, but it, it went downhill from there. But um, yeah, that's it. Like, I mean, you always as a as a fan, we always remember the first sort of uh, you you know when you were a kid, the first teams that you you watched Bolton, mm-hmm. um, which I do find it amazing when you see on on Twitter, for example, some people talking about. I don't know the, uh, the the team in the championship, like and saying talking about um, you know some of the players in in that one a few years ago in the same way that I talk about John McGinley and David yeah. Blake. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's uh, I have fond memories of that team, and I think we've discussed this before. I think that team is is revered by Bolton fans, but I think it are kind of it also gets forgotten about a little bit because for most people. You either uh, remember the Bruce Riot days, so you'll talk about those teams. Mm. And I know there's a crossover, but you'll talk about that team. And then uh, for my generation, you'll talk more about Big Sam's team with a Kotcher and an Elker and stuff. So I think that team kind of falls in the middle and it kind of gets forgotten about a little bit. So it was nice to see that the club put this on for them. 
Yeah, well, what happened, obviously, he got promoted. And then when they did go into the Premier League, I think possibly knowing what happened the first time round, they did invest quite a bit of money. And you saw a lot of new players, didn't you, that, that came in mm. in that Premier League side. And, and it changed very, very quickly. So the, the old guard were, were quite quite quickly taken out um, with you know a few exceptions of Goodney Bergson for example obviously went went through to Sam's days but um, no it was a cracking team uh, without without any shadow of doubt I, I'm with you though and, and obviously I'm, I'm, a, I'm a lot older um, but I, I just I, I hear fans talking about their you know the, the, the days where they first started being fans and the, the players that they first started loving and, and it always amuses me that there is a generation of fans who came through and still managed to be Bolt Wanderers fans watching them under Dougie Friedman or under Neil Lennon in the championship when it was just yeah. it was dreadful uh, there will be some hardy people out there in a few years time that are, are kind of sat there in a rocking chair recalling to their grandchildren about the day that Rashinia played against Ipswich or uh, <laughs> the, the, the day yeah. Giles Coke made his debut. It was just madness. <laughs> yeah. Oh, when I was your age, I had Wellington Silver on the back of my show. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely crazy. But that's, that's, the, that's the love of football, isn't it? You, uh, you Once in, never out, as they say. But uh, right. Yeah. That's that's lovely. That's enough headlines. I'm drawing the line under it there. We're opening the film race post bag. Is that Philip Marish? Emails actually. And we're just having one email this week. I just needed to uh, to get another what if out the way because it does lead us nicely into the rest of the podcast. And it actually links with the previous bit as well. Perfect bit of emailing, Gavin. Okay, Mark and Henry, a quick what if for you. What would have happened if Keith Brannigan had not saved the penalty against Reading? It's widely accepted we'd not have won the game against, uh, sorry, a game at Wembley, but would Bruce Riox still have been poached by Arsenal if he hadn't got promotion? Or would he have gone, or would they have gone for Arsene Wenger a year earlier? The whole axis of modern Premier League football might have been brought forward. From Bolton's view, would Riox staying meant mean he could build a more robust team that could have stayed in the Premier League, even to the point that they moved to the Reebok? Would Colin Todd ever have got a chance? Makes you think, doesn't it? Question marks as Gavin. So mm. stick that in your pipe and smoke it. Yeah, well, um, right, but we wouldn't have won that game. I don't think Reading would have given up a free goal lead. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, that's an interesting... Because for me, and I know you look back on history uh, and things worked out well for Bolton. I know we went down the season after, but they still worked out quite well in the years following it. That seemed like a natural sort of end to that Bruce Riot years. He got us to the Premier League, mm. and then he moved on to a, a to a bigger club. Um, obviously, it didn't work out for him. We got relegated, um, but would yeah, if we wouldn't well, have both those things don't happen. So Bruce Rio, for me, Bruce Rio doesn't go to Arsenal, and and as 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 Gavin rightly puts it there. Arsenal already had Arsene Wenger on their radar at that point, and that's why it was so quick for Riyok, because once Arsene Wenger became available, I think he was in Japan at uh, Grand Pass 8, um, once he did become available, they pretty much, <laughs> that was it for Riyok, no matter how well he did, he was going anyway, which was a horrible way to finish, and, and the guy did not deserve it, but um, that was that was the situation. 
Um, so if Wenger, potentially, they would have maybe made a bigger effort to get Wenger in. And of course, we know what effect he had on Premier League football. So maybe maybe it shifts things Arsenal's way. Maybe the whole Manchester United you know, dominance doesn't necessarily happen in the latter end of the eight, uh, 90s. That's talking about Premier League. But as far as Bolton's concerned... Rioc wouldn't have gone. He still, he still would have been the most popular man in town. Colin Todd still would have been his number two, so it would have been another season in the uh, in the in the championship. Now, we've talked a bit recently about about rose tinted specs and and the fact that the Rioc era wasn't just win win win. There were times where he he had a a complicated relationship with with some uh, some some of the supporters. That season actually at times was not all sweetness and light. So would he, with another season there, would would his legacy have been affected? Would it have been obvious that he would have just taken them up with that team? Or would it have changed for him? Or would we not be sitting here thinking, you know, what a legendary manager Bruce Rioch is? Would everybody's uh, a, a legacy been uh, been changed? It would be a really strange one. I love these what-ifs. <laughs> yeah, it, it does. I'd, I'd love to know what yeah, people are, especially people who were watching. As I said, I... I started watching Bolton just a few years after the mm. uh, the Reading game, so it'd be interesting to hear what people who were watching at the time, what they'd think, whether they think uh, you know we would have gone up the next season anyway. Would we? Because I know they were after Wenger, but surely Arsenal looked at Rioch before. Because I know we played him in the FA Cup, didn't we? So um, yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting. Uh, Question that I guess we, well, we will definitely not know the answer to. Maybe Jimmy Quinn would have gone to Arsenal if he'd have won the playoff final. <laughs> Maybe. Who knows? Who knows? Right. Uh, well, if you have got any uh, views on Gavin's email there and what would have happened if uh, Brannigan hadn't saved that penalty, then please get in touch this way. So you want to bring something up on the buff? Email Mark and Henry on the buff mail at gmail.com. That's T H E. B-U-F-F-M-A-I-L, all one word, at gmail.com. And sorry to the male escort who probably getting some unsolicited Bolton Wanderers correspondence from the people who spell that incorrectly. Right, we have skimmed on it, but we saw a very, very special save on Tuesday night. James Trafford with an absolute belter from Lewis Freestone. Uh, it didn't matter in the end. No, it as one as one guy pointed out, how many points did it win us? I thought that was a ridiculous comment. It was still a great save, um, and and I, I do think you know it needs it needs it needs um, it needs logging in the list of great Bolton saves that I've seen. I think, um, but I thought I throw the throw the floor open to people that have watched Bolton for a lot longer than I have. The wonderful world of Twitter, and as normal, it doesn't disappoint. So let's have a look down some of the wonderful saves we've seen at Wanderers. Yo, your sis. On me, save all your. Your sis. On me. Bye bye, baby. Bye bye. Your sis for me, save all your. Your sis for me, so long, honey, so long. Henry, if I were to ask you what your favourite save watching a Bolt Wanderers match was, what what would it be? Benny McCarthy, 
against Jussi Askelainen. Can he preserve his side's unbeaten record? No, good save by Askelainen. Another claim for a penalty. It is. Roberts goes down. It's all happening. Crazy end to this game. Kevin Nolan is aghast at the referee awarding two penalties in two minutes. And Roberts this time is going to take it. Selling the dummies, selling the trick, sandwiched between Speed and Hunt. Tumbles to the floor. Mike Dean penalty. Well, can Jason Roberts do what Benny McCarthy couldn't and level the game? Against Jaskalainen, who saves again! Incredible! Absolutely incredible! Real, oh, look at that jilt, he's into the area. Penalty! Oh, dear me! Gotta say, that was a super run from Jilts. And he went down in the box, he died, well did he die or what, but it was a foul I think, so penalty, referee in order there. And it looks like John Dreyer's warming up over on the far side. The first save was excellent, the second save was purely sensational. He's got David Healy free! Oh, fabulous save! Terrific stop by Matt Clark, denying David Healy. Pressure to revive here, though. Great save. How Macken has got free through the middle here. He's persistent, he has the awareness to touch it in there. And Matt Clark, a great left-handed reaction save. Somebody years ago put a video, I think it was one season... They put a video of Yossi's best saves on. I think if he, it'll be on there somewhere. Very grainy video, even though it was 2006 or something. But the, that's, I think it was the 0506 or 06 or said some of the saves he made. He had, he had a top 10 and he, could, he were like, everyone was brilliant. Yossi moment has to be the Blackburn game away where he saved two penalties in the last minute. So I'd have to go with go with that one. But I mean, he had he had loads. It was absolutely astonishing. That was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. That two penalties save, um, that was that was brilliant. I mean, the, you're right. Yeah, the the Cole. I think the Cole slash Skulls double save at Old Trafford was. Um, I think that was voted save of the season, wasn't it? I, I think it's, it's it's regularly cited as one of the best Premier League saves of all time. I rewatched the one he made from Gary Cahill when Cahill was playing for Aston Villa. Um, in 2006, and that was astonishing. Full length, like feather. You didn't even see it first time. You'd have thought a shot from about 25 yards going into the top corner, and it just kind of whistles past the bar. But then when you rewind it and you, you slow it down, you can see just the edge of Yussi's glove just diverts it. Would have gone under the bar. Absolutely amazing save. Uh, honest assessment. Bit of luck today, but grinding out another result, Bolton. They are resilient. Mm. They, as I said, I don't think they played particularly well today. Um, there's a man who sometimes doesn't get the recognition that he probably deserves because of some of the big names in Bolton. Yeah. Uh, Jaskalainen won them the points today. He was absolutely sensational. 
He pulled off two magnificent saves. This is his first one here from Craig Gardner. Spreads himself very well. Just watch his left hand. Just gets a touch to it there. But this one for me was the better the bunch from, from Gary Cahill. 30 or 35 yards. Great strike, oh. but what a save that is. That's actually flying in the top corner. Just see it there. Left hand. But this is the angle I like the best here. What a brilliant save that is. That's world class. That's absolutely the number of points he's saved them over yeah, he's the years. A great Nine years he's been there now. Fantastic. I think what did he say, Evan? hundred grand. Hundred thousand pound. Yeah. Brilliant. That's value. <laughs> that is value. On the other hand, um, Brannigan's save, obviously. As, as far as the most important save, we've just had a whole segment there about wondering what happened, what would have happened if he hadn't have saved that. Uh, but, you know, that save from um, Stuart Lovell's penalty was was so important. It was Stuart Lovell, wasn't it? I'm, I'm just trying to <laughs> re recap, but yeah. Um, uh, there's a million one Yussie ones, but I think um, people have brought up uh, Andy Dibble. One against Stoke in the 90s, which um, I'm hoping to grab hold of on YouTube. I've not, I've not seen that one. Uh, Mark Howard's penalty save against MK Dons, says Andy H. I think um, Chomp was uh, was fantastic from the penalty spot. He made some amazing saves. One guy brought up um, Matt Clark making a save against uh, Preston in the playoff final, which again... Uh, yeah. They're, yeah. They're, they're key moments. They're, they may not be like technically the greatest save in the world, but actually, if that doesn't happen, then... Preston get a goal, that whole game could have changed. And it was uh, it was definitely a really important save at that point in time. I remember one uh, that night, a close-range header. And um, the goalkeeper was... Oh, God, who was it? It was the Sunderland goalkeeper, Craig Gordon. Um, mm. Absolutely amazing save. It was one of those where I saw it live and I, I almost just didn't believe what I'd seen. I, I, it was back in the days where we actually had TV screens at the, <laughs> at the grounds as well. So you could sit there and watch the replay and like it, there was gasps from around where, where the replay had played on the screens. Absolutely astonishing save. Um, one that did cycle up quite a bit among the fans. John McGinley pulling on the goalkeeper's jersey made an amazing mm. save against Reading again. Uh, tip one yeah. from underneath the bar. People remember that. And I'm glad this uh, this guy uh, at Yolspeed um, has has reminded me of a game. Uh, Yaskalainen again. Uh, Hull Hull City going. Uh, it was one of the best goalkeeping performances I ever saw from mm. any goalkeeper. Absolutely astonishing. Phil Brown afterwards, he just sat there just shaking his head. He was like, "What have you done to me?" <laughs> Absolutely shocking. Yeah. Do you remember that? They had a, yeah, I do. Yussi and Phil Brown. Didn't they have a race horse at that time? European dream, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember we won 1 0. And that, that was when, that was Hull's first season in the Premier League when they started really well. I think they won at Liverpool and Arsenal and Tottenham. And then we were naturally under Gary Megson near the bottom. And uh, yeah, we went there and won. And it was, yeah, uh, Yussi just, I think Hull's form really dropped after that. But, um, yeah, Yossi just was unbelievable. Keith Brannigan against Arsenal, says Stephen Bates. Uh, about 20 saves on Bruce Rioch's return to Burnden. That one ticks a box as well. Um, I mean, there's there's absolutely loads and loads of Jaskalainen. I, I think we should probably have a, a delve in and do something that uh, do something on Jaskalainen. Because I, I think, because he's a goalkeeper, it's funny, we don't kind of keep treat goalkeepers with the same sort of reverence as you do strikers like a, a Lofthouse or a, a, a McGinley mm. um, or even an Okocha 
the goalkeepers tend to be like, oh, well, yeah, that's, that's your job. That's what you're there for. But my God, how many points did Jaskalainen save Bolton and, and Brannigan before him? I think both of them deserve uh, to be right up there in the absolute annals. And Ali Al-Habsi against Bayern Munich, by the way. I've just spotted Mark Gould has suggested that one. That was a fantastic uh, spell of saves, actually. He was, he was brilliant for a spell there. It was, yeah, and uh, it was, yeah, with goalkeepers at that that era, um, you know, like as I said again, you know, my first season watching Bolton was that last season at Burnham Park. We had Keith Brannigan, then we had Yussi, so we had him, and then we had Yussi for ten years. Like, so I was, I've been watching Bolton about thirteen, fourteen years, and I'd only ever seen us have two full time goalkeepers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and then obviously since then we've had quite a few, but um, yeah, they were. Those two were Brannigan as well. I think Brannigan was a, a brilliant goalkeeper, uh, but Yossi was just, he was something else. And, you know, I think Yossi's not, he, he is underrated. Well, he's not underrated amongst Bolton fans, but he is for sometimes forgotten about amongst, you know, all the big names we had at that time. Mm. But I think in terms of Premier League goalkeepers, I think he's very underrated. He's, he's definitely, for me, in the top 10. Yeah, I, I, I generally think that. And having seen him, and the way he worked up close, I genuinely don't think I've ever seen anybody train as hard and as focused as he did. It absolutely astonishing watching him work, um, especially in the, the Fred Barber days where he was really at his pomp. It was just great to mm. see. Um, Adam Bogdan, of course, that night at Anfield, that, that earned yeah. him a move to Liverpool, for crying out loud. I mean, that was a, a career-defining day for Adam Bogdan. He had a great night there. Um, worth... I, I, not spoken to Shaggy for a while, actually. I should really, really ring him up. What a great guy he is. Um, yeah, so there are absolutely loads and loads and loads and loads of nominations. And to be honest, there's so much Yaskalainen in here. It's starting to make me think I should do some sort of tribute to Yussi um, <laughs> because there's so many nominations. Oh, there's a David David Felgate mentioned. I should mention David Felgate. Southampton away, says Marcus BWFC in a cup match. Um yeah, that would have been uh, the Phil Neal uh, era, uh, the the FA Cup game against Southampton. Um, so I'm glad he got mentioned because he was um, he was the the mid '80s Jaskalainen, mm. <laughs> David Felgate, and he had a tash. Goalkeepers with tashes, I think they, they they deserve a comeback as far as I'm concerned. They should, James Trafford. If you're listening, you should bring that back. <laughs> but I reckon Traff's I reckon Traff's save. When we're talking, if I were to do this again um, on the Buth's sixth birthday uh, party, um, mm. then I reckon somebody would say Trafford away at Cheltenham. I know it didn't mean anything in the end, which kind of, that might mask it a little bit, so we may forget about it a little bit. But of all the very good saves that Trafford has made so far, I think he's on the way to becoming a pretty iconic goalkeeper at this point in time. Um, I hope yeah. that continues. But um, of all the saves he has made, I think that's probably his best one so far. Yeah, and um, the one against Lincoln on Saturday as well. Which one right was that? Oh, yeah, of course. The one at, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, I mean, that, that, it, that didn't... Uh, that meant nothing in the end because he still would have won. So he's had two very good saves uh, that actually don't mean anything. Yeah, I wonder if they just get swept up and this will be the only time anybody ever talks about them on a podcast. It could be. Who knows? Mm. Right, lovely. Um, that was that was great. If you have got any other suggestions, then uh, do get in touch with us. Um, but we're going to have a look at the Fantasy Football League very briefly.
Fantasy Football League finally back up and running with a proper game week and both me and Henry have shown signs of improvement. Cucurella de Ville, Henry's team, 79 points for the week, up to 212th. Hurrah! Yes, thank you to Erling Haaland. <laughs> well, listen, I think fo- uh, Fantasy Football was divided this week into people who captained Erling Haaland and people yeah. who either didn't captain him or didn't have him in the team. And if you haven't got him in the team, then you really need to think really long and hard about your life choices, I think, at the moment, yeah. as far as Fantasy Football is concerned. Um, my team, Quixotic Kebitude, 99 points, and I'm up to Ooh. 90th position. 90th in the table. We're on the rise. Yeah, I mean, mine, as I keep saying, mine's baby steps, but you've had a big step there. That is a giant, huge Peter Crouch type step, um, but actually not quite as big as Boltzalona, um, John Mason's team, who got 118 points this week. Congratulations Ooh. to him. I assume he was the triple captain Tarland of some description. Um, but the pace setters in the Buff Invitational League are Maximum Drama. He's been up the top for quite a while now, uh, Max Sefton's team. Number two, the Burnden Aces, Martin Baker. He's been among the front runners, but here we go. Surging into joint second is Cruise Control, Rowan Baxendale. Um, 115 points this week. It's hotting up at the top, and with a bit of luck, boys, I will be joining you quite soon. Um, so, right, let's shift it back to Wanderers. Let's talk about predictions. Pass us me crystal ball. What's happening next week? Prediction time! We're heading back to Gloucestershire, um, which, to be honest yet, the drive back from Gloucestershire was so bad on Wednesday that I kind of don't want to go back. <laughs> it's, it's my favourite county in the world, but unfortunately I, I just I, I feel like I've uh, got PTSD, really, from what happened on Tuesday night, and then the, and then the drive back was so awful. Um, I'm not really looking forward to it, but um, and, and also I know there's not a steak and ale pie at the other end of it either. Not 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 at Forest Green anyway. Uh, no, it's a vegan steak and uh, vegan pastry, and mm. yeah, just get some chips, mate. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I've got nothing against it at all. I, I, I'll often nip for a vegan option, but I don't like it being enforced on me. I like to have the option. You know, but uh, anyway, anyway, enough of my press scrum. I will take a picture of press scrum, by the way, because I know people do mind me for it if I don't. Um, hmm. The game itself, it's a real redemption arc, really, for, for Bolton, isn't it? I think if they can, as you mentioned earlier, if they can just get straight back on the horse, get a result, prove away from home that they can do it and they can uh, go and enforce themselves on a, an opposition in the, on their own turf, we'll forget about Cheltenham soon enough, won't we? Yeah, um, yeah, we need to get back into the swing of things. There's a week off after this game, so um, yeah, it's. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't like to go into that week, especially leading up to the Barnsley game on a defeat. Um, yeah, we we need a win because I've you know you look at the table now and it's. I think the top eight are cementing themselves there, mm. which we find ourselves in. Uh, they're probably the eight favourites to go up. So uh, yeah, you you don't want to be left behind, and you don't want to you know get too far away from the top because credit to Plymouth you know I know they've played the majority of their games against the top eight at home but they've now beaten Sheffield Wednesday ourselves in Ipswich so they're really showing what they can do yeah no I've, I've, I know uh, I didn't do the, the Plymouth game um, but having having watched it they were quite impressive to be fair um, 
although they certainly have improved since they're playing some good football under Schumacher and I think by the time this comes out so Schumacher will be the manager of the month we should also congratulate Ian Everts uh, for uh, his nomination this month. Got pipped to the post because Bolton only played three times. They won the three games, but um, didn't quite have enough juice to uh, to get past Schumacher on this occasion, hopefully. Um, November and December will be Ian Everts. But um, I, let's look at the team because that's the, the big talking point, really, as far as, as, far as Saturday goes. I, I dare say there'll be a lot of Bolton fans sat here thinking... Let's make big changes. It didn't work on Tuesday. There's, you know, six or seven players who didn't do themselves justice. Let's bring in six or seven that might. But do you see him going that far? No, I don't. I don't think he he will. I think. Um, well, saying that, you know, you look and think. Well, Bradley's probably going to come back in. Then you look at the the, um, you know, Iredale and John. Well, that could change. Well, there's two changes already. Mm. Uh, is he going to keep? Is you know I know Thomason has been playing very well, but is this his excuse to go right? Let's bring Morley back in, or someone like that. Yeah, and then obviously we've got Dapo. Yeah, I think the the big one for me, obviously, you'd expect Bradley to come back in on the right hand side, and you'd also expect Gethin Jones to drop back in into the back three. So you'd say that Will Ameson would be the the casualty there. It's it's the ten for me. I I, I wonder whether you'd stick Dapo as a ten whether you bring Kieran Lee back as the 10, whether you put Dapo up front. I think, I've, I've thought for a, for a couple of weeks now, it really he's really bubbling under Dapo and he seems to be really itching to get out there and to do something. And, and I, we saw on Saturday, he came on and obviously had a hand on Bob Varson's goal. Tuesday night, it was difficult to make an impact, but he did more than any of the other substitutes, that's fair to say. So, uh, yeah, I, I was I was reasonably happy with that um i think he will make changes i think he he, he may well i mean sheehan sat there waiting mm. for a chance and sheehan would be a great shout as one of those deeper line uh kind of playmakers um so i think yeah i think there's there's going to be a handful and hopefully it'll just profession things up yeah i i think i would put dapo in i think the, the these small grounds you need a player who can make something out of nothing i think dapo has that Dapo, uh, he showed he came when he came on on Tuesday. There was a time I think he picked the ball up like thirty yards from our own goal and ran with it and used his strength. Um, so we've got you know we've got someone who can do that. Someone who if it's in a tight situation he can get out of it and probably win as a free kick. Um, so yeah, I'd probably bring Dapo in for uh, probably yeah. I, well. Bod Varson, and then I've, mm. then you've got Bod Varson, Bakayoko, and uh, Kachunga to come off the bench and keep Dion Charles in. So yeah, I'd go with that. And then in the middle, yeah, the middle, I'd. You've got I, to play Kieran like... Lee. You've got to play Kieran Lee. I think he's the best, most complete midfielder they've got. If he is fit and he's able to make that trip, you've got to play him. Yeah, then you look. Then it's looking at well, do you bring Morley and Dempsey back in? Mm. MJ's going to play because you need that bit of bite in midfield. So, yeah, I think there could be a few changes. I'd be surprised if there's none, put it that way. Right, well, one thing that definitely isn't going to change is that we will be back again next Friday. And every Friday after that. We've been doing it for three years, Henry. Three whole years. I mean, I know wow. you, you were called Tom at the beginning. Um, <laughs> and and you took, took a bit of time to warm up. But I think you're really coming into your own now as, as podcast co-host. Yeah, it's uh, I can't take any credit for the first year, but I can take credit for after after lockdown. 
that's right so yeah basically two-thirds of the time it's uh it's it's been it's been a a, a wonderful trip and uh, thank you very much as i said at the top of the show thank you very much for every single person who emails in who tunes in who you know who reacts on social media who does anything uh, for the podcast because we really enjoy doing it um and i hope you're back again to listen to us warble on about mousehole united or whatever they were called um in next week's podcast but until then i've been mark mine's a piece of birthday cake isles and i've been henry open another present hopefully it's three points against forest green do it and this has been the third birthday buff happy birthday it's birthday time, it's such a thrill Don't be sad, you're over the hill You've got many more years to come We love you, you're number one Fresh. McKinley in goal McKinley in goal How did Reading think they'd score With McKinley in goal Bradigan was the sinner McKinley scored the winner up to going goal Super John's ready for that role McGinley in goal McGinley in goal Why did Reading bother to shoot with McGinley in goal On with the shirt, on with the gloves Playing in goal for the team he loves The crowd chant cause they know we've won Scotland, Scotland's number one McGinley in goal McGinley in goal Why did Reading Attack, attack, comes in waves No problem, as Super John saves The header comes in from afar The hero leaps and tips over the bar McGinley in goal, McGinley in goal Reading knew they had no chance with McGinley in goal Final minute, one last attack All is calm at the back Reading know that they've been beat Super John has kept a clean sheet McGinley in goal, McGinley in goal How did Reading think they'd win with McGinley in goal? Cheers, Penny Bear.